0: Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and... Oh God, oh God, Call to live the life you were created to live your life. Not the life that people tell you you ought to live, but your life. And then in this day, this this day, this season, and to love beyond the limits of our prejudices. That means where you think there's a boundary for your love, cross that boundary. And then finally, I always say the greatest thing you can do for another human being is to serve. Jesus made it clear if you want to be great. Being ambitious is not a problem. I said a few weeks ago, if you want to be greater than the next person next to you, outserve them. Outserve them. Ain't nothing wrong with being competitive about service. Amen. So hey, come on, FCBC. We know how we say it here. Come on. We we, we, we. Amen. Good. All right. I want to revisit a scripture that I've looked at, I actually think, a few times in this year, maybe once or twice before, but it keeps pulling me back. Um, It is, I think, probably one of the most profound parables of Jesus, teachings of Jesus. And the truth is, I could preach from this passage every Sunday and find something new because it's that important in the kingdom. It's Matthew 25 verses 31 through 40. And I won't talk about it the way I've talked in the past, but I want I want to just point out some things so you understand for those who may not be clear about this passage. I spoke yesterday um, for the National Action Network, and I referred to this scripture because this is the one place, a parable, which is a kind of a story about some deeper spiritual issues. But in case you're wondering, this is really the only place where Jesus in any depth beyond a cursory line talks about what judgment will be like. This is important because so often those of us who will consider ourselves among the ranks of the churchy or we are churchy in recovery. right? Right. We, 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 uh, we often grow up thinking about judgment, whether we're going to heaven or hell. And what's going to qualify me for heaven and what's going to qualify me for hell? What's going to consider me in the language of this passage among the ranks of the righteous? And as Jesus tells the parable, the parable now, the parable of what's going to put me among the ranks of those who are, quote unquote, will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. And in this passage, and this is what you got to get if you get nothing else today, and this is not what I'm going to talk about, but judgment is not based on these, sometimes these slight infractions that we love to put people in hell for. That in this passage, the righteous and the unrighteous is based on the capacity to transcend selfishness and greed. Those who are among the unrighteous can't get past their own selfishness. Why? Because in this passage, the righteous, those who are on the right hand of God, are those who did what? Who fed the hungry, clothed the naked, gave water. I don't read it to thirsty. But those who are among the unrighteous, who are judged harshly, are not those, well, women who wore pants to church instead of a skirt or, or people who went to the club last night or, because you smoked cigarettes or had a drink. That ain't in this passage. It is, it is because you, especially if you super sanctified, forgot that the Jesus movement is about transcending the narrow confines of your own ego and then being able to do what? To feed the hungry. In other words, the unrighteous are those who are not able to stand with those who are overlooked, outcasts, marginalized. I've got to give you that because we love to create these these. These manufactured mechanisms to determine who goes to heaven and hell. It's right here. So I want to read the first part of this. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. And here's what it says. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at, his, at the left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord. When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sit or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Amen. Come on, let's pray, beloved. God, we're so grateful on this day for how you continue to remind us of just the joy of basking in your presence. God, we are worship people. But, oh God, our worship is intense because we're also grace babies. We thank you, God, for covering, for keeping, for sustaining, for providing. God, we thank you that As we walk this journey, we are reminded daily from the time we rise from our slumber that we do not walk this journey by ourselves. You walk with us, O God. You talk with us. You remind us who we are. God, for that we say thank you. God, anyone in here today, O Lord, who is human, their hearts ought to be heavy today. There is a weariness, God, of all the chaos, all the confusion, all the violence and death. God, we bear the marks of those who live. and Since we're alive, living ought to be our agenda. So, God, we will lean into life because in this season, we are ready. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. We say amen. Amen. Remain standing. Let me, let me read this. And I'll try to be brief today. But um, then verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it? that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you. The king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Amen? Amen. Do me a favor, turn to your neighbor, just tell him, neighbor, Neighbor. do your part. part. Come on, turn to the other neighbor, tell him, neighbor, Neighbor. do your part. part. Now put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. (laughs) Take your seat. Now, I cannot move further without first acknowledging the amazing job of our young people this morning. We ought to stand and just thank God for our young people today, how they blessed us. They ought to feel all that love. I'm going to get to that today. founder of the Scouts, Lord Robert Baden-Powell, spoke words that are so applicable, I think, every day. But in these times, I think they are probably even more applicable. He said this, try and leave this world a little better than you found it. And when your turn comes to die, you can die happy in feeling that at any rate, you have not wasted your time, but you have done your best. Try and leave the world a little better than you found it. At the end of the day, Matthew 25 really speaks to that. It doesn't talk about who you are as a Christian in terms of doctrine and dogma or some set of beliefs. The teachings of the carpenter are about really how you live your life. I love it because oftentimes we realize that as believers who follow and honor the teachings of the carpenter, that the carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, changed the world with words and deeds. He changed the world with words and deeds. Can I tell you something? I'm convinced that he changed it more with words than with deeds. I say that because some of us get so fixated on the deeds of Jesus, the miracles, the healings, that we sometimes leave the words behind. But it's his words that were problematic, his words that got him in trouble. Not the deeds, not the miracles. I mean, who really in their right mind, they may be and may have been in Jesus's day offended at the fact that he may have healed on the Sabbath because he broke protocol and and religious practice. But who really could be mad to see somebody who never saw, see again. Someone who never walked, walk again. Or someone who was ostracized and marginalized, welcomed again. Those deeds are profound, but it's his words that got him into trouble. His words were problematic. His words were disruptive. His words were troubling. His words were the issue. His words intimidated those who were at at the end of their words. His words disrupted people who were at a lack of words in the face of human brokenness and woundedness. His words have been the catalyst for the Jesus movement. And I always say it just about weekly. I'm amazed at how many people who claim to follow him don't know his words. And not only don't know his words, but don't quote his words. And not only don't quote his words, but don't live by his words. The truth is that the carpenter's words have been sacrificed on the altars of doctrine. That his words have been sacrificed on the altars of orthodoxy. His words have been sacrificed on the altars of proper church etiquette and protocol. We've adopted all of these things, and tragically, we have abandoned his words, his teaching. But I'm convinced that his words and his teachings are the very thing that this historical moment needs right now. Now. I say that because when you turn on the TV or read the newspaper, especially in recent days, your heart grows heavy and weary, or at best you turn the TV off and don't read the newspaper anymore because you are tired of seeing daily images and stories of death and destruction. You grow weary from constant bombardment of stories and narratives that are designed to to instigate your fear in ways that are dysfunctional to your living. It happens all the time. And here's the thing. If you feel like me, and I know most of us probably do, in the face of the daily bombardment of pain and misery, you feel helpless. You feel helpless in the face of the harsh and brutal realities that confront us daily. You sit there and you cry at some at moments and you grieve other moments and you wonder what can be done. I know I'm not the only one in here who has felt that way when you look at the news or hear one more story of, of, of mass shootings or one more story of violence in our communities and one more story of things that do not make sense. I read the other day of a 76-year-old woman who was going to her apartment on 144th and Adam Clayton Powell and was assaulted on the way into her apartment, pushed in, robbed, 76 years old, and in the face of those realities, you sit back and you say, my God, what can we do? What can we do, can be done, and what role, baby, can I play? Because you feel overwhelmed by the psychic trauma and the emotional fracturing that we see every single day we feel helpless in the face of violence that is rampant and pervasive in our communities we feel helpless in the face of wars that cannot be explained we feel helpless in the face of a shortage of baby formula we feel helpless in the face of a pandemic that is not over yet it is still going on we feel helpless in the face of the high rate of youth suicides. We feel helpless in the face of the increased numbers of homelessness. We feel helpless in the face of inequity in our educational system. We feel helpless in the face of poverty. And we feel helpless in the face of white supremacy that now resides in the hearts of teenagers in our country. We feel helpless in the face of these harsh realities and try to figure out what must we do every day we're served a buffet of brokenness. Trying to figure out how to make sense and navigate these tumultuous waters. We sit there and say things, what laws can't be done? But here's the thing, we are not the lawmakers. What can the police do? But we are not part of public safety. And then we wonder, what can be done? And then I hear the words of the carpenter. Because it's amazing, he was not a Roman legislator. He was not part of the Roman legion, nor was he part of the imperial guard. He did not instate laws, reinstate, or create. And yet, Changed the world. 2,000 plus years later, and we are still repeating his words. And his words are the words that give life. We are not helpless, beloved. We are not helpless. And you may think, well, pastor, these are just words. But these words are powerful. And not only his words, but your words. You see, words set the framework for decisive action. Words set the framework for movements. But words have the power you and I know to give life or death. And we have not only the carpenter's words, but our words that are instigated by the carpenter. How then, pastor, do we speak to this moment? How can we help in this moment that seems so chaotic when we do not have necessarily the mechanisms of public change at our disposal? Voting, yes, that is the most critical thing you can do, because let me tell you something. We are depending sometimes on people who are not even looking our way to make laws in our best interest. We are depending on people whose own personal self-interest and desire for uh, lifetime power. who are professional politicians, who cannot make righteous choices because the choices they make are instigated by wanting to be reelected, and so in order to be reelected you have to make sure that you have the campaign funds to be reelected, and so the lobbyists come into Washington, the gun lobbyists come to Washington, they get the pass because nobody talks about the gun lobbyists we talk about the legislatures, the laws and the and the weaponry, but nobody talks about the lobbyists who put money in the funds of these elected officials so that they begin to vote in favor of them and never speak the truth see, we missed that point, the lobbyists are dangerous, they are the ones, oh, no matter what the issue is, who put money into the war chest of these elected officials and so the elected officials don't make decisions based on the best interests of their constituents, they make decisions based on the best interests of their being reelected. That's the whole game in case you missed it. And so when we begin to let people know that organized people always beat organized money, we'll begin to make a change in this space. Excuse me, I'm sorry, some folks don't like the political talk, but I have to say that. What can we do? It's not hard, beloved. Here's the thing. In order to really have the impact we want in this world, in this culture, to really reflect that we are disciples of the carpenter, here's what we do. Here's the first thing you got to have. It takes patience and trust to believe that you can have an impact and participate in the transformation of this world. Patience and trust. Why? You have to trust the process and be patient with the outcome. What do you mean? Because the problem is when you feel helpless in the face of all these tragedies, you want an instant solution. And sometimes decisions made out of instantaneous desire or desperation put us in a bind that we don't always easily come out of. How many of you in here today have made decisions out of desperation that you wish you never made? Trust what? I'm glad you asked. i am be done in a minute. I'm glad. Don't say that. Here it is. I got to believe that the carpenter wasn't as concerned if everybody got it in his lifetime. There are some outcomes from the carpenter's teaching that he never saw. There are people whose lives were changed by his words that he never met. And yet there had to be some deep-seated trust and belief, like the kids say, that it will work out. In fact, the kingdom that he talked about, he didn't necessarily see in his lifetime. But it didn't stop him from talking about it. It didn't stop him from engaging in. What if Jesus's commitment was based on immediate reciprocity of his teaching? What if his commitment to the cause, to the mission, to the messages was based on whether people got it every time he spoke? People wonder sometimes why pastor keep on repeating stuff. I come to TNT and I feel like I've been there long enough and I've heard some of the same things again. Yeah, but you ain't changed nothing yet. Until there's a transformation connected to the intake, that means the words just fall off of you. Because if transformation doesn't take place in the midst of the intake of words, if there's no conviction that makes you want to shift your thinking, you need to sit put and keep on getting it until it gets in you. Here's what it is. Why am I talking like this this morning? Because of these amazing young people who are here today. We we care about the future, but the future is based on how we treat our children now. We we care about what's going to happen, but that's based on what we do now. You see, here it is. Rumi said it this way. Yesterday, I was clever. So I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise. So I'm changing myself. I hope you get that. When when I was clever, I wanted to change the world. But when I got wise, I realized to change the world, I got to change myself. I have to change my perception, change the way I see myself because when I change the way I see myself and change the way I think about myself in this world, then I have a chance of automatically changing the world in which I live, that the transformation that I participate in is connected to my ability to see myself different first. And then when I see myself different, I give myself the real possibility of how I can participate in the daily transformation that can take place in our communities. Why? Because if I can begin to work on me now, Working on me doesn't mean retreating from the world I'm in. Don't get that twisted because in are focus, I'm just trying to get myself together and you go run and hide and don't participate. Here's the thing. God can use you while God is working on you that you can still be used to do great work. You cannot live this life wrapped in your selfishness and your selfish pursuits and your greed and forget that your responsibility is to leave the world a little better than you found it. For those young people who will come behind your responsibility, you, with your saved, sanctified, holy ghost, shouting, speaking in tongues, running up and down ourselves, is to leave the world better than you found it. And the one way you can leave it better than you found it is to invest in those who are coming behind you. Because our young people on this youth Sunday, need to know that they are valued, valuable, so they don't go chasing validation in spaces and places that do not love them back to wholeness. That's our work. If we affirm them every day, they won't go looking for fellowship in false places. That's our work. It is believing in the daily in a random acts of goodness and kindness. You see, why? You worried about what's going to happen when you leave here and where am I going? Mm-mm. I can't be preoccupied and I ain't had no testimonies from the grave yet. But right here, while I'm alive, This is the measure of my humanity right here while I'm alive. This is how I will begin to measure. Here's what it is. God has placed children and young people in our presence and in our lives, because I said every time we have dedication, God wants us to know and remember that God still trusts us with the future. every day you change the world by engaging in daily commitment to work on you and then not selfishly and let then your work and what comes of it be the overflow that you then share that's why Matthew 25 is so powerful while you sitting here thinking because you talked to somebody who made you feel bad because they knew more scripture than you so you feel somehow like I get it all the time pass I don't know the bible like some folk I'm saying good because even the folk who know the bible don't know the bible That's okay. Are you sitting there trying to figure out, is it based on how many ministries I serve in and God will see me? No, this is not about transactions for the kingdom. It is in my life. Have I made a daily decision not to hide my light under a bushel? Have I made a daily decision to let my gifts and my works and my abilities be used in a way that enhances and uplifts and empowers the life of another human being? Listen, listen, listen. I have the opportunity on a regular weekly basis to speak to thousands. My God. But I'm here because one person decided that I was worth investing in. One mentor, one counselor in an at-risk program decided that I was worthy of being invested in. And what did he do? Every time he spoke to me, he told me how great I was, even when I didn't feel great or even look great. He made sure he let me know that there was God inside of me and that I was a leader and that I had gifts and that I was smart. He said those things that then, after a while, I started actually taking them seriously because if he keeps saying them, then maybe some truth because somehow he saw something in me about me with me that I did not have as a teenager the capacity to see in myself. He made a daily investment. He talked to me on a weekly basis and every week he poured into me. He poured into me when I got mad at him. He poured into me when I didn't want to talk to him. He poured into me when I tried to get away from him. He poured in me from 14 all the way till I made my way down to Atlanta, Georgia to Morehouse College. He kept on pouring. When I told him I didn't want to go to college, he kept on pouring. When I told him I was And college material because I listened to the folk who didn't really know me, who thought they knew me because of grades. They didn't understand what God was doing. He poured into me in spite of those who poured in ways that were negative and trying to undermine me. He never stopped pouring. And you think because you gave one compliment, you do it. No, keep on pouring and keep on feeding and keep on giving to the generation that's behind you. Leave the world a little better than you found it. That's the work. Because you don't know how hope springs from dry places and how life can come from dead spaces. That's the work. Yes, I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of hearing about it. But we can change it. How? How? Can you imagine what this community would look like? And I'm just going to give you this, example. I'm getting get out your way. If when a child, if you made up in your mind, then every child who passes by me, I may not get to every child, but any child that walks past me, I want to make sure they hear something from me. You see these kids right here? I I want them to hear so much affirmation from us that they start to buy in and then believe in who they are. Here's the thing. Don't feel overwhelmed because Jesus didn't heal everybody he saw. But those who had an encounter were transformed. And sometimes those encounters came because he happened to be in a particular place at a particular time, but his message never changed. Do you understand the life you can give to a young person by just telling them how amazing they are? I know you can clap, and for the life of me, I don't understand why we don't clap louder for them. I know you can clap, but let them, but open your mouth and start pouring. Let your words into our future be as reckless as the sower with the seed. You just put it out there, speak it, because you have no idea how those seeds get planted and when they come to fruition. That's your work. You can't save everybody, but at least somebody can say that when they met you and heard from you, that they were better than they were when they met you. Now, our role is to make sure those we've invested power to do the right thing. But I'm gonna do what the carpenter called me to do. And you don't know how it impacts. You have no idea how many people leave here on a Friday feeling good because they got food from this place. You have no idea what it does for some of our young people who never get to get on a stage in their life. This may be the closest to Broadway some of our young people ever get. But maybe being here plants a seed of possibility in who they could be and what they can do. Do your part. Do your part your part because that's all that's required of you and if in your living you have the capacity to touch one life let me tell you why it's power because you don't know who that one life will touch you have no idea we are in a precarious time and the people who claim to love God and follow Jesus can't hide and can't live these insulated realities and think that we don't have responsibility outside the walls of this building. In fact, this building ain't church, it's a gathering spot. Church is what you do when you leave this place. You build community. You make community. Don't be in such a hurry to run in that you don't want to do anything when you walk out. This is the work. It's simple. Speak life. Affirm one another. There was a time in FCBC's history where, well, you know, the pandemic now changed some of that. And I'll tell somebody, give somebody a hug, tell them you love them. I can't wait to do that again, I'm telling you. Might have to be one of these hugs, but. (laughs) But here's the key. The reason we did that is so that maybe that person you hugged that day may hear words they never heard. I love you. It makes a difference to feel valued and seen. Because when you're seen by the people you love, you don't then become thirsty to be seen by strangers. When you're valued by the people you love, you don't go looking to be valued by people you don't even know. When you read the Gospels, it becomes clear that when people were in Jesus' presence, something happened. Not only were people healed, but people felt better about themselves. People who were despised and talked about felt better. People who were overlooked felt better. And here's the thing. There are some people we think are unreachable because we don't trust our words. We don't trust. How are you going to sit around in church and shout when the preacher says the power of life and death is in your tongue, but you don't believe in the life that can come out of your mouth? This is the moment when we see all the cultural insanity. This is the moment we lean into the faith, but not about making ourselves feel better in some sentimental way. We lean in for our marching orders from the carpenter. What ought we do now when we feel so helpless? Huh? You don't need to be a millionaire to empower somebody's life. You don't have to be a millionaire to speak life to somebody else. You don't have to have all the material goods and possessions to be a blessing and a breakthrough for another human being, especially a young person. But sometimes they don't even care what you got; they care that you care. That makes the difference. So here's what I want to do this morning. I know it's communion Sunday; we're gonna get out of here shortly. But I I want I want all these young people. I know we got the communion table, but I want all our young people to come down. If you got a young person with you out there, you come bring them down today. All these young people who sang today, bring them down. Come on, Serena, go get them. Everybody, I don't care if you if you're a teenager. You bring them down today. I want you to bring a young person down here today. You come on down. Don't no hesitate. Come across here. You spread them out across here. You bring them down with you. That's what come on, bring them down. Let them come on down. And you can spread them out across here. Sharon, make some room over here. Yeah. Come on down. Come on down and spread out this way. Let me get the security. Sunny, let's just move over a little bit, brother Rutledge. Just move over a little bit. Come on down. Make space on them. Make space. Yeah. Now see, while we all and we still and still bring them down, I still see some coming down from the balcony too. Yeah, they come. Come on. And if people are coming down, we got all this space over here. People are moving out, some more come. That's right. Let me tell you something. I have to say this. And then, you know, I, I, I was one of those when I was younger, you know, there you go. First of all, let's celebrate how many young people are actually in church on the Sunday morning. Now, let me say this. When I was younger, we were here. You hear from the older generation, oh you have no idea how rough I had it. In. We could tell them stories. I had to walk eight miles to school. Right? We just hear all that all time. We be sitting, there, oh God. Let me tell you something, grown folk. You have no idea what they are dealing with. You have no idea what our young people are dealing with daily. Some being bullied on social media. We have these high rates of suicide among young people, babies. We don't know. We don't even fully comprehend the world that they are growing up in. Look, can you imagine coming of age in an age Will you have to wear masks all the time, miss periods of school because of a pandemic that you don't fully comprehend. We took for granted going outside and seeing friends and playing. For almost two years, this has been a challenge for some of our young people, learning under the most hellish of circumstances. We have no idea. And then the fact that no one speaks directly, consistently to their mental health and mental well-being. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about we had it bad. Yeah, I might have had it bad, but I ain't seen some of the things these young people see. i have not. And so we got to stop that. Oh, they ain't been through nothing. No, they've been through more than you've been through. Yeah. 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 You need to understand that. So today, as we pray for our young people, I don't, want only, I don't only want you to pray, but speak some words in their direction. Open your mouth and speak. The deeds Jesus speaks about in Matthew 25 are deeds of service, but they're also words of life that we have. So while we are doing the work that the carpenter called us to do, to make the world better, to leave the world better than we found it. Part of leaving the world better than we found is also speaking life into our young people. And so as you pray today, I want you to just pray for and with. And if you're able, extend those hands in their direction. And you ought to want the best for them you can imagine. This is the future, and our future is in their hands, and they will lead it and live it based on what we lead and how we live and what we do, how we pour in, how we support, how we celebrate. When was the last time you celebrated a child that was not yours? When was the last time you validated a child that wasn't yours? Well, here's a newsflash. They all belong to us. I know that ain't popular now, but they all, from the smallest baby to the teenager who he or she think they're too grown for this moment. (coughs) They all belong to us. God, we thank you today for the gift of these beautiful children, oh God. God, we thank you that they're in this space today and here worshiping and celebrating with them. But God, now we ask, and stand in support and solidarity with them. Oh God, we ask that your power and your presence be felt in their lives. God, we ask that you continue to remind them of who they are. And God, we will also do the work you've called us to do to pour in and pour in and speak life and help them as they lean into life. God, that's our responsibility. We will remind them how amazing they are. We will remind them how beautiful they are. We will remind them how cosmically significant they are. We will remind them they are children of God we will remind them that divinity resides within them we will remind them of how amazing and majestic they are God we will do our part to make sure that they know how valuable they are how valued they are how precious they are how amazing they are we will do our part to speak life and then be present be present with them oh God And check on them and see about them and ask them how they're doing and listen to them. And not ignore them. Because God, we don't always want to admit it. They are people who are praying on them on social media. So God, if they can be prayed on on social media, they can be prayed for by us, oh God. God, we're tired of seeing children hit by stray bullets. We're tired of seeing children go to school hungry. We're tired of children shuffling between shelters. We're tired, oh God. We bear this responsibility. It is our charge, and we will take it seriously. God, as long as you give us breath, We will make sure they understand what it means to live the lives they were created to live. As long as you give us breath, we will make sure they understand what it means to love beyond the limits of their prejudices. As long as we have breath, we will help them and join them and work with them in serving one another. God, we can't give lip service anymore. We have to continue to do the work you've called us to do. God and we love them. We love them. We love them, God. We love them. We love them, God. We love them. And they need to know, God, we love them. They need to hear it even when they make their way back to the seat. We love you. I love you, oh God. They need to feel the overflow of love today. They need to feel the outpouring of love today, oh God. Because if we can't do this, we'll fail at every other assignment you'll give us. If we can't do this, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for believing in us enough in this season. We love you, Lord. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. And we say amen. Amen.